Welcome to the Paranormal Pendle podcast, coming to you from the heart of Pendle Witch Country in the northwest of England. My name is Craig Bryant, author, investigator, and collector of stories. Join me as we take a journey into the paranormal, UFO sightings, cryptozoology, and big cats. This is the Paranormal Pendle podcast. Welcome to episode 40 of Paranormal Pendle, broadcasting to the Paranormal UK network at paukradio.com. So my guest on this episode is Gary Jones. Um, Gary has made it his personal aim in life to research, read and investigate a wide range of fascinating subject areas, such as UFO, ET phenomena, ancient history, false flag events and forbidden knowledge and sciences. And in particular, um, I'm going to talk with Gary today about his book, which is called The Denby Lights, and we'll get onto that um, in, a, in a few minutes. Uh, over the last seven years, his UFO investigation work has produced some fascinating and hard-hitting evidence that has resulted in solid UFO cases, such as the Pentridge incident, uh, the Denby Lights, Caldicott Triangle, Clantricent Red Orb, I hope I did that, that justice, um, and the mystical lights of Merthyr Tidville. So, Gary, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on. Thank you for joining me. Yeah, thank you for having me on, Chris. Good to be here. So, you've been very busy um, talking to quite a few different people about your book, um, The Denby Lights, which I'd love to talk to you about as we go through the podcast. But can I just ask, first of all, how did you um, actually become involved in uh, research and investigations in the first place? I've asked myself that uh, same question quite a few times. Um, I've always had a fascination with the subject, but looking back through my uh, life, I think the subject kind of chose me. I just, I've had sightings as a young child and strange paranormal experiences, which led me to, um, you know, at the time it was just television and what you read the newspapers. And as I got a bit older, started reading a bit, started learning a bit more. And um, I think sometime... Yeah, around the early 2000s, I just decided I was going to read a lot of material, study a lot of material. And then I just decided around, I think it must have been about 10 years ago now, I just decided I wanted to do some uh, investigation work. I'd had enough of the research side. I got a good knowledge base. I understood what was uh, necessary and to learn about this, uh, to learn about cases. And I started small in my own area looking at local cases, and then I somehow ended up branching out to the whole country of Wales. And that's what I've sort of kept myself uh, busy because I figured, you know, this is my backyard in the way, in, in, in the scale of the world, like. Yeah. Wales is a pretty small country, although it's a fair-sized little country. It's still a small country. Yeah. And um, I just decided I wanted to start looking into cases, and I was amazed at just what there was there. Mm. Well, it's um, it's it's very there's, there's lots of very large rural areas, isn't there in Wales? It's it's sort of very sparsely populated, isn't it? In uh, in certain areas, so I suppose that in itself would would sort of lend itself to um, strange things. I mean, you've had quite a few um, sightings yourself, haven't you, over the years? So, do you want to sort of tell me about some of the the more interesting sightings you've had? Well, uh, I'll name three. I'll try to be quick. Because uh, they can go on for quite a bit. But when I was seven, I lived in a place called Lansbury Park in Caerphilly. Uh, me and my friends were playing in the summer night. And it was the school holidays because my parents would let me stay out after dark in the summer months because um, obviously I didn't have to get up for school the next day. But as long as I stayed in the street, it was fine. And a certain time I had to come in anyway. But 
one of my friends looked over and the farmhouse, the farmlands behind uh, the estates was, there was a strange light and we all turned to what he was pointing at and there it was, this oval disc-shaped craft with these very unusual lights coming off of it. Um, the way they sort of move from brightness to brightness is like uh, the Knight Rider car, if mm. you remember that series. I do, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The car had the red light on the front, which would go left to right, and you know, you'd have the bright spot, and then the sort of faded bits would follow behind it. And it looked like that, but it was more yellow, red, and orange kind of color. And uh, it had a sort of inners to it, the, the way it sort of moved was like lava, like a lava lamp, you know, like a vol like a volcanic flow of lava. It was strange, it was so hypnotic. Mm. And it was silent. I mean, it floated, it, it moved like a stick floating on a calm lake, you know what I mean? Just very, very, you know, it was moving, but it wasn't like, it wasn't like, uh, like it was trying to hold position. It just, it looked like it was floating there. And if I could show you in video, I, you know, I could probably demonstrate it. But if anyone's ever seen a craft like that, I don't know what I'm talking about. And we stayed at it for about three minutes, two minutes easy, three minutes, I think, was the maximum. I think we all talked about it. One of my friends jokingly said it was a UFO, and we didn't know the significance of what a UFO was. But we just knew what the word meant, unidentified flying object. I think we turned our gaze from it for like 15 seconds tops, and then I looked back, and where the hell did it go? It couldn't have disappeared from sight. It wouldn't have had enough time if it was a plane or a helicopter or any sort of vehicle that could fly. And um, yeah, I never forgot that one. And uh, when I was 21, I think it was January of 2004, actually, no, maybe in 22, I think it was January 2004, this one. I, I, I get confused with the year 2000, <laughs> 2004, but I think it was, Jan it was definitely January time. <laughs> Excuse me, I got a bit of a cold. That's okay. and, um, I was coming off from, I was coming on from work on the last evening bus. Um, before the uh, late night shuttle buses took over. It was a different company, but this is the state last stagecoach bus coming from uh, the Tidville. And uh, I was going up to the place where I live, and um, lo and behold, as, as soon as I got off the bus, it was about 7 p.m. at night, so very dark, uh, kind of the weather we're getting now with all the damp clouds and the low, you know, misty, misty clouded uh, areas and all that. It wasn't raining, but as I got off the bus, about... 20 seconds, no more than that. It was a young girl behind me who was going to her own place. But we both looked up because something caught our eyes. Something came below the cloud layer, and it was this massive 600-foot-wide boomerang-shaped light vehicle with a strange sort of light configuration on it, which just came below the clouds for a brief moment of time, didn't uh, make any sound, and then just went back above the clouds. And if I had to guess how fast this thing was going, probably about three, uh, maybe close to 400 miles an hour. I couldn't tell you, but it was going quick. But um, yeah, I saw that one. In um, one time when I was really getting into the whole UFO thing and collecting some information, I was getting interested in this whole white orb business that was happening around my area. And I was just clicking photos. And something said, look over here. And I looked over there, took a picture. I couldn't see anything with my eyes, but as soon as I looked at the photo, there it was. This white orbish looking thing. I, de I describe it like a Pokemon ball. It's got that shape to it, you know, the, the sort of outline and the circles, the center in the circle, but way more mechanical looking. I got yeah. the photo somewhere. Maybe I'll send it to you at some point. Um, yeah, it's buried somewhere in my little file there. Uh, um, 
yeah and i i just know i just know these things are real and I, they always seem to interact with me at some level at some stage and with the paranormal events and everything else i mean well it was pretty i i think becoming an investigator was the next logical step so what um what paranormal um events have you been been witness to then what what sort of things oh um one time I woke up and there was a, uh, a woman figure standing right in front of my bed. Uh, the strange thing is I was waking up in the middle of the night. So, you know, it happens. But I, I got the strange feeling there was someone, you know, at the end of my bed, my body was telling me there's someone in the room with him. There shouldn't be anyone there. Except my cat, maybe, you know, tries to sneak in and have a clutch and all that. <laughs> anyway, you know, um, I can see it with my eyes closed and as I open my eyes, there it is largest life standing like I'm standing in front like I'd be standing in front of you and um uh she very quickly sort of like looked at me she's pretty lovely you know, very beautiful looking woman in this blue suit mm. hair I kind of described like one of those Nordic blondes or Palladian looking people that people often describe yeah I don't know if that's what she was but she faded right before my eyes literally faded before me you know, and there's a lamp, and there's a, a lamppost outside my house which shines light in, and uh, you know it comes through the window sometimes, and uh, you can see to the edge of the door, and she faded right before that. And I've had you know like strange flickerings of light, and but I remember one time. Oh, what was that strange one? I think this one happened when I was about ten, maybe. Uh, the kids are all messing around, right? You know, go in the go in the toilet on your own and say the alphabet backwards, yeah. <laughs> sort of like you know if you say something in the mirror when you're on your own something's gonna happen and the trouble is it didn't um i remember the lights flickering and then the sinkhole filled up with dirty water oh yeah no i've never seen that happen before i thought i thought is there a, is the pumps is, is the drain system flowing backwards up or what but uh normally i would expect it to flow up through it and just spit you know like a fountain yeah yeah this have you ever seen the way water goes down a sinkhole? Yeah, 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 yeah. It goes it the same way. Yeah, same way. Yeah, yeah. This came up the same, virtually like that same way. So I also thought this is strange. That's almost almost sort of um, horror film Hollywood esque, isn't it? Really, that sort of. Yeah, I was expecting like, someone to jump out of the toilet. Yeah. The cubicle or something, but oh, I just laughed and thought it was nothing. But what can I say? And I, I've had like strange dreams where I, you know, it's not, they're not even dreams, you know, but I just get the feeling that, you know, sometimes I, I sense something in the room and all that. So you're quite, quite sort of sensitive then to, to. I get a sense there's something close. Yeah. There's different things. Yeah. And that's obviously that manifests itself in, in the sightings that you've had of, of the UFOs and, and UFOs so. as well. So it's all, I, 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 personally I think it's all linked and, and I know quite quite a lot of other people think that it's linked as well. I mean, what's yeah. what's your thoughts on that? Do you think it's all linked or I think it is, yeah, because uh, I'm I'm an investigator, but I'm also an experiencer of sorts. Yeah, so yeah. I've kind of I've kind of not just read about it, I've actually experienced it. It's like people talk about Egypt, you know, I mean I love Egypt. I've never been, but I know if I went there my perception would be a hell of a lot more different than just reading it in a book. You know what I mean? Unless you've been there and done it yourself, you can't really, you can't really appreciate it. So yeah, I, I think Egypt. I mean, Egyptology, Egyptology. It's easy for me to say. Um, it's fascinating, and I think the whole history and the lore and everything else around um, 
you know the the religion and and the gods and the goddesses and everything else. I think it's fascinating. Yeah, it's uh, it's, it's definitely on my bucket list anyway. So that's that's probably a, a discussion or a or a subject for a different time, isn't it? Because there's, there's a whole oh. of uh, of things that you can talk about about that. Let's let's move back then to um, the UFO stuff. And I mean, you've mentioned quite a few in your bio. There's the uh, is, is it Penturch Pen Penturk. Enterk incident. Sorry, my, my apologies for the pronunciation. Secondly, uh, pen, as in like a writing pen, and yeah. then Turk, you know, Turk, like Turkey, but pen Turk, you know. So. Okay, so that that's quite an interesting one. I mean, what what sort of drew you to to investigating that? Well, it happened pretty much on my doorstep. Uh, there was a buildup of military activity in my area. Lots of planes, helicopters flying around at night and daytime, low, irritating everyone. People up and down the valleys area of Merthyr were wondering what the hell is going on. Uh, no one seemed to have any idea. And there was all these trucks and convoys at times going up and down the A470. And I'm like, something going on here. Don't know what, but there is. Anyway, the night of the incident, the 26th of February, 2016, there was a lot of low-flying aircraft, and they were really low, literally coming over people's houses. And I mean, the one time I had a chimney coming over my roof, I could have been on the on ceiling. I could have been on my chimney and touched it. You know, that's how low it was. Mm-hmm. I mean, at one point, I, I even saw it in the street light. It was uh, it was reflecting off of that. You know, so you know, the street lights out here are not that tall. I mean, tall. they are they are incredibly big, aren't they? And incredibly loud as well. Oh, they make a racket. Mm-hmm. They, they rattle your windows from a good couple of hundred, you know, couple of, like a good thousand meters away before they. Yeah, they do. yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I can I can understand where you're coming from with that because we, strangely enough, we we seem to be on a flight path here, um, mm-hmm. where we get a lot of military um, uh, aircraft and particularly helicopters, um, in particular Chinooks. So and and they do come across here very low as well, um, and so I can I can totally get what you're saying about the noise and the the vibration and everything else you know so yeah, yeah. anyway sorry I, I i interrupted again it's fine um but i'll get to the point this went on for like 45 minutes and then two days go by nothing like it just stopped but i was at the method tidville rugby club there was a conference taking place the rich planet tour by richard d hall was taking place he was going up and down around the country and his stop but this stop was in Merthyr. <laughs> Kind of lucky, actually, because uh, the person who witnessed it, Kaz Clark, went there that night. I didn't know who she was. I'd never even met her. And uh, she told the room during the Q&As what had happened. And everybody's jaw dropped, of course. You know, she told it was a UFO event and something got shot down. And then people started grabbing the microphone and started telling some pretty pretty corroborating stuff about explosions and how one person worked in the hospital. There was smoke filling the corridors. The whole hospital shook. I mean, how do you shake a hospital for crying out loud? Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, roads being blocked, and I was just saying, this is not an exercise. So right away, the inclination for me was to get in there and investigate. But it was a little difficult at the time because the Q&A session was kind of over and everyone was sort of going over to Kaz. Mm. Couldn't get through to it. I couldn't get through the crowd very difficult yeah and we had a lift waiting outside so i thought oh, damn you know i gotta get going and there's a person over there who's got a pr- probably the most interesting thing i've heard since i started all this mm-hmm. anyway uh i thought okay i have to leave it i'll probably get her the details tomorrow within the week you know because everyone's not going to be talking about it and it took me 20 months to find her because somebody was suppressing her name for that's the only way i can suppress figure it out she was commenting on wales online mm-hmm. making comments on other places 
but for some reason just couldn't find her on Facebook, even though I knew she was on Facebook. Mm. And even when I put the word out, people who knew her were talking to her, friends who were all my friends. Could, I thought, what is going on here, man? How can you not put two and two together when you do a search on Facebook? It's like somebody deliberately removed her name. Mm. But then uh, a group I was with, which I'm not going to go into, because I would have made a falling out with them uh, over this. Uh, for reasons that if people want to find out, go to the Pan Turk Incident website page on YouTube, June 22, uh, UFO report on Newport. That will help that one. But getting back to um, this, uh, we start, she made a comment on one of the pages, and we realized it was her. And then the investigation began, and then all these years later, we've collected so much evidence now. We're at the point where we've uncovered the cover-up, uh, Cass's experience, along with David, her neighbor who witnessed it with her, and some other witnesses who witnessed some other things too, uh, all confirming that there was a large pyramid, triangular-shaped craft that the military were waiting for, right. ambush for. Uh, multiple objects came out of it, 15 to 20 barrel-shaped orbs, two of which came over to the witnesses who were watching by the gate. Cass and David. Uh, m- m- incredible interaction happening there. And then later on, we've now proved also that there was something shot down over by the Royal Morgan Hospital in Lantricent. And um, yeah, I mean, and we've since shown that the military were lying. They didn't have any exercises in the area. There was no operations of any kind. So whatever they were doing here, it was more for offensive operations purposes, Mm. you know, actual operations. You know, they they launched an operation, Mm. you know, over a public airspace. Say they are allowed to do if if there's an you know an enemy a foreign enemy mm. what they did what they deem you know friend or foe I guess in this case they deemed it a foe and um, yeah took steps took whatever steps they took and uh, yeah we got a book about it probably need another one now because there's a lot more information that needs to go into uh, an updated version I guess but whenever that could be done I don't know mm. um, and then of course uh, yeah that case has really come along I've got other cases I can mention quick. Yeah, can, can, yeah, that'd be great. I mean, can, can I just quickly just ask you about about the obviously there was there was a huge military involvement in that, mm-hmm. uh, and and from what you've what you've said, there was clearly some sort of suppression um, of information going on. I mean, did you at any point when you got really sort of deep into that that rabbit hole, did you ever worry about your own safety? Yeah, I tend to do this quite a bit, and I guess I just realized, hey, look, you know, I could die tomorrow and leave nothing, you know. So if they're going to take me out, they're going to take me out. And if they're going to take anyone else out, they're going to take them out. But I'd rather die doing what I'm doing now than sit around waiting for them to do it and not get anything done. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I've had my computers hacked, I'm sure. I've lost hard drives. I've lost information. Stuff in the beginning, which I know was probably not as interesting as it would be now, given that, you know, the there were there were some interesting comments, statements, posts. Some people sent me stuff about uh, NASA, about the uh, International Space Station. May have picked something up. I don't know if they ever sent me the images, but I know they were in the process of trying to get them to me. Because I said straight away I was going to investigate. But I started, even, even in the 20 months between, I couldn't find Kaz and when she went public, I was still looking in for it, looking for information. 
So yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I do feel. I mean, yeah, it is worrying. You know, it's it's kind of scary. But I mean, I've been doing it for close to eight years now. Come February, I'm still not. And you're I, still here. <laughs> Yeah, I think, uh, well, as some people in the UFO field, and if you know, we're, we're looking for the we're, we're treading in areas they don't want us to go. Mm. Time, I guess there are some people who want us to go there, you know what I mean? <laughs> well, yeah, the, the, there are theories, aren't there? That, that you know, um, I mean, we're, we're sort of teetering on the edge of disclosure, and again, that's um, another massive subject, probably for, for, for another podcast, and, and it will be yeah, interesting actually to yeah i mean it will be interesting to to get your your views on that at, at at some point in the future but um i mean i know from from doing limited research in in the area around where i am in the northwest of england there are government departments there are government bodies who take a great deal of interest in these types of um incidents and and you know there have almost been your uh, archetypal um and again this sounds very hollywood but you know you your men in black turn up to these sites and and i know that you know there's been incidents in in the northwest of england where these people have have just arrived on these sites where where things have been seen um and they act particularly you know um peculiar to 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 normal investigators so there is there is definitely a, a government department which is which is involved in these sort of things and did, did you get any sort of um any sight of anything like that when you were when you were doing that particular investigation i think if i started early on i may have but after 20 months i guess it kind of cooled off yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I've been stories about some strange, you know, the way the military people, she knows people who are dressed like civilians, but clearly look military by the, 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 their incredible physique. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and the, the, the way they, they talked. Anyway, um, yeah, there's been that. Um, it's a lot I could go into here that would take up the whole hour. But I mean, <laughs> I, I, I've come across some strange individuals myself. I just don't know if they were anything to do with it. It's just, you know, where I live, it's pretty... I won't say it's dull, but you know, you get to know the the characters of the place and the sort of feel of the personalities you could meet. And there's just been a couple of times where people have introduced themselves to me. Yeah, you know, I've never seen them before, but yet, and, and they say things, and I'm just like, and they sort of stand out. The the they're not they look normal, but they stand out because of the way they mannerism themselves. Yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? yeah it's interesting. Yeah, it's odd. I just don't know if anybody's ever experienced that, but I'm just saying that I'm not saying that they were, you know, those men in black type people, the strange government people. I'm just saying sometimes I do come into contact with them in the places I would never expect to see them. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've spoken to other, other, you know, very well-respected investigators. I won't mention any names, but um, I have spoken to other people who've said similar things. You know, they've had, um, uh, they've met people in the street who, who they just didn't feel right speaking to yeah. um you know they've, they've just been the whole demeanor has just been completely different to what they would expect uh, a stranger to interact with them so it, it, mm. it, it clearly does happen you know let's um let's talk about your book then let's talk about the denby lights and let's talk about how you got involved in that investigation and what what it was that sort of drew drew you into that in the first place well, um, like I said, uh, well, that particular case came along in my lap around April of 2018. 
But what happened was, is when I was researching around December 7th, no, sorry, October 7th, let me start again. October 2017, I met Kaz Clark. That was 20 months after the original event of Penn took. Now, once I got some statements and some information and I was able to really start putting my efforts into finding what I needed to find, I was looking for any videos, photos, UFO reports that might coincide with this event, yeah, the date. And there were some videos popping up and some photographs popping up of UFO sightings. And then when I realized the location was well beyond, you know, it's up in the northern areas, I came across that case. And uh, I went up to a visit uh, in North Wales one time with a group I was once with and met this family at the last stop. And I sh they showed me this video. And I got to say, uh, wow, you know, what a... What an impressive video. And the thing that really stood out for me is, you know, I've seen something like this myself. For that first sighting I had when I was seven, all the light configuration was a little different. I mean, the shape is undeniable, you know, although the light, the way it moves, you know, it's definitely got a sort of saucer cylinder shape, uh, oval shape to it. And um, I asked them, has anybody investigated this? I mean, I asked the, the witnesses, has anybody actually done any investigation into this? Because this is fantastic footage. They did say that a man named Peter Glynn had done, done some preliminary work, uh, did the local investigation stuff, and he put together some good evidence. You know, he interviewed the family, uh, went to the location, did a day-night comparison from the actual site of the, win the window, because it was at night. And, then, and you want to get in the daytime and he looked at a bunch of other things too and he did a, a good analysis a good viewing of the, the the video itself and all in all he did about eight videos which combined to about an hour and uh, i thought you know this is a really good report yeah i could do quite a bit with this so i asked for his permission to use it of course and then i just um started uh doing all the other stuff i knew i could do i, I thought well i could do a let's really sit down with all of you now and get this on film if you want which they agreed to. I said, let's, uh, let's really go to the areas and take a look around. And I want to take a look at radar returns and see if we can just eliminate the, you know, the usual suspects. Mm. Um, I said, this video needs to be analyzed properly. And I know just the man for it. Jason Glees of UFO only former RAF man now turned, uh, investigator at UFOs. He does analysis work on photos and videos. Very good at it actually. And, you know, I recommend people read his stuff. He's got a YouTube channel, which I find good because I just, I just love watching videos that have analytical work done to it. Huh. And um, yeah, so I did all the usual things that I would do. And then uh, when I was ready, I put together a documentary around, I think it was just towards the end of 2019, beginning of 2020, maybe. No, 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 that would have been beginning of 2019, sorry. And um, I kind of left it at that. And then I just... Uh, promoted the case then about last this about summertime last year i thought i'm gonna write a book on this because there's enough material here mm. and uh that's what i did i put together a book and uh what uh, the, uh, the the case is called it's called the denby lights because the craft is just emitting these unusual incredible amounts of lights randomized pans you can't you can't uh synchronize them in any way or you know figure out what when they're going to come on and off mm. and i call that subheading a truthful argument for the existence of UFOs. Now, the reason I call it that is because if anybody, I mean, I'm not trying to prove the existence of UFOs. I think we've already done that. 
Mm. What I'm trying to say is, is that if you're looking for, if you're looking for a case for someone to look at and say, you know, yeah, this is definitely real, or you know, this is definitely happening, but there's no need for speculation here. There's your case. There's the Danby lights for you. And uh, if you want me to go into the details, I shall. Yeah, no, I'd, yeah, I'd love you to. I just wanted to, to, to sort of ask you at this point what Jason thought of um, of the footage because I have I have a, interviewed Jason myself a few months back, so mm-hmm. I am um, you know fairly familiar with his work. Um, I'm just wondering really what he made of the the footage. He got a 12 minute video report on his own channel. I um, uh, I I um, asked him to look at it, and he said, "Well, yeah, this is incredible footage. Very rare to get so so long because it was close to 10 minutes worth of video." And the um, he, he described it as unexplained. It's unexplained. You know, this this is not a UF. Sorry, it's not a plane or a helicopter or a drone or the usual explanations. This is unexplained. Whatever that object is, is not what you would normally expect to find. Therefore, it's a UFO event. So that's what he concluded. Right. So, yeah. So what what, what was the, the sort of series of events with, um, with this sighting then? Okay. Well, uh, it was January 3rd, 2012. It was 3 a.m. in the early hours of the morning, well, big, well, well into the night. Uh, Nathan Thomas was the first person to witness it. He was 12 at the time. He heard a noise outside because it was a stormy night, you know, 50, 60, 70 mile an hour winds, you know, strong gusting winds. It's like freezing temperatures, zero degrees, and the rain was coming down. So visibility was poor as hell. And he went outside. Anyway, the noise was his bin as he looked out. You know, the bin was quite a big, you know, I don't know if you've ever seen those big council bins, you know, the really big ones, you know, obviously it was packed full that night because of the rub you know it's the christmas rubbish and everything yeah it was anyway as he looked out he could see something something was dazzling with lights in the, in the distance and as he looked he thought was that a reflection from my window or you know coming off of the tv or something and as he opened the window he realized it's coming from outside it's not from inside his room reflection and he looked at it and he realized you know oh my god you know that's that's some kind of, that's one of those UFOs, isn't it? You know, and he goes to get his brother, who's in the next room, Alex Thomas, who was 14 at the time. And he was trying to get asleep. And Nathan was kind of annoying him, you know, go away, you know, go away. And it's a UFO side, Alex, UFO. So come see, come see. So obviously listening to his brother, he thinks, winding me up, but he, he seems seems to be genuinely trying to get his attention and he goes to the window and if you could, I mean, I would have loved to have seen his expression. He obviously went, you know, went from being tired to suddenly, you know, instantly awakened. Oh my God. Mm. And Nathan had been given a video camera uh, that the camera was a Camellio S30 made by Toshiba. And uh, at the time it was a, you know, one of those nice little handheld cameras you could use for parties and weddings, you know, just, just, just a video, video log events. Mm. Nothing like today, of course, but, the video was a very good quality, and the video worked very well, worked well enough. And uh, they started recording, and they got about three minutes worth of video before you can hear in 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 the dialogue they're using uh, the, their voices. I transcribed the video, by the way, in the video documentary. The, if people want to see it, I'll send you the links to that anyway. Yeah. But they went down to go get their mother, uh, Linda Pritchard. She was a third witness to see it. And Alex came down, you know, the one who was trying to get asleep and now wide awake, <laughs> literally 
literally tell you know shout you know shout I wouldn't say he was shouting at his mother but you know eager to get his mother up thinking she got up and what what you know thinking is the house on fire that's her words is the house on fire you know there's nothing wrong you know it's just Alex getting all excited and she goes upstairs takes a look and sees it for herself the lights now at this point they're filming again and the lights are really starting to go now and yeah, they what, what what you see with the camera is not what they see with their eyes. Their eyes are getting a much better definition of it. Yeah. It's oval shaped. It's saucer shaped. They're talking about the light on top. They can see the underneath it as it tilts up and down. This thing goes from a horizontal to vertical position. You know, like a from flat to forty odd degrees maybe. And uh, at one point, they decide to go and wake Kira up, and this is Linda's granddaughter, and uh, she. Could hear the she could hear the sort of commotion like it was waking her up, but then she realized you know something was going on, and I think Nathan went to wake her up, and then by that point, all four of them are watching it, and yeah, you can hear it in the I've, on the transcript of the video that uh, they just what is that, and you know, and uh, it's interesting when you listen to how they speak. I mean, Linda's like that is the most amazing thing I've ever seen. And Nate and Alex is similar, but a little more e eager as well. He's like, I don't know, I've never seen anything like that before in my life. And he's getting worried, you know, that people are going to come visit him. Mm -hmm. You know, and they want, and <laughs> Nathan, the youngest one, he's so enthusiastic. So, should we put this on YouTube, Alex? Should we put this on YouTube? Should we contact the post? You know, like contact the local press. And Kira's in there somewhere, and she's just like, wow, you know, amazing. Anyway, it's just, it's just, Man, and then at one point, the lights all stop. They just stop. They're gone. That's it. They're finished. And Alex, his, his reaction is priceless. He just goes, I guess, and this is exactly more or less exactly how it went. The lights stop, and he goes, "Oh, don't stop!" <laughs> like that, turn on, will you? <laughs> he didn't say that part, but that's that's what it is. He's like, "Oh, don't stop!" You know, he's so freaking eager to see them again. Yeah, yeah. attitude today. That's an attitude today. They really, really want to see it again. And I'm just amazed, you know, because Peter investigated not long after it happened. The police were called in. They said they were lampers. Right. The, the, uh, there was no police or helicopters or army or anything going on. The farmer doesn't work at night. And the golf club, which is there with the quarry in the distance, they're all shut. They're nowhere in line with the... The lights anyway but obviously looking for normal explanations this is what people would go on and um yeah i mean all those things were done in the beginning which clearly show this was a ufo but anyway um i interviewed the family about six years seven years after the event their memories were as fresh as the day it happened and uh even to this day i mean we're talking well it's been must be over 10 years now 11 years nearly no we've oh, it's been well over 11 years become 12 years now january i should go back up there just to speak with them see how they are so was was it sort of um was it seen by any other people that you know of i'm hoping that there were other witnesses but to this day i still have not received any other witnesses no so but four people from one window was pretty good but i had hoped that other people might have seen it but given the time I mean, the Denbyshire area is pretty quiet. You know, there's a small community there. Um, 
I mean, given the vantage point, really, only a certain number of houses, I think, would have seen it anyway. Mm. You you mentioned in your in your bio that the story was picked up by the Mirror. Yeah, paper, and they ran an article. I mean, how how was that received? I think it was the Daily Star, wasn't it? Uh, well, I don't know. You, you, you said it was picked up by the Mirror. I know some of the some of my UFO cases have been picked up by the Mirror, and some of them the Star. I think the usual uh, response is all the same. Um, UFO expert describes lights as uh, real, and um, you know they they just they just mention it in in a sort of a passing sort of thing, really. They don't really go into detail or describe the uh, the events in full. They just like to. I did have a clip of it somewhere. Yeah, there was a. I did have it in the Daily Star, and I think it may have gone in the mirror also. So forgive me if I'm getting confused on that one. But um, no, they just said, yeah, you know, Jason Glaze put out his video. They picked up on the story. And I think, you know, if I remember correctly, they just said, you know, UFO, UFO video described as real by expert. And then they just wrote a story, told about the witnesses and myself. You know, it was just one of those online interview, one of those online things. I don't think it made it to the papers. It just went on one of their websites. Right. Okay. Hmm. Interesting. It was picked up by uh, uh, early on when Peter was looking into it. And Peter's a local UFO investigator at the time. He was interested in this stuff. You know, he did other investigations as well. So he was very into this. Someone named Skrillex. Skrillex was a, a DJ, American DJ and a record producer. And he was very, I don't know what he's doing now, but at the time he was very, very popular. Excuse me. He was very, very popular. And uh, he put the, the link to the video on his Facebook page which automatically meant all his followers went to that page themselves. And the views on uh, Peter's page went from something like a couple of thousand up to like 10,000, 20,000, 50,000. I think at last count, it was somewhere around like maybe 400,000. Oh, wow. Okay. And uh, that sort of just, that really obviously opened the case open for a lot of people then. So I was quite surprised that, uh, I mean, the local media picked it up, but I don't think anybody in the mainstream was bothered with it. But uh, the family became uh, targets for some of the, you know, debunkers out there and the people who feel it's their duty to out, you know, liars. And even when they got video evidence, they're still liars. Uh, oh, I tell you, the treatment, the way these, some, especially Nathan, you know, the, one, the youngest one who saw it, was so enthusiastic. He won't talk about it now. No. I mean, he may give an interview and audio, but you won't get him on a camera. And I think even if you get him an audio, he'll, he'll be... Because I think he just got fed up with the attitude that people have towards it. Yeah, and I think I think that's an issue, isn't it, in general with um, with witnesses that that a lot of people don't want to come forward, do they? No, because of the absolute um, idiots. <laughs> well, I can think of stronger bloody yeah, words. Yeah, but, uh, I mean, there's a guy named Mick West who does the what do you call it, Metabunk. And uh, I'm not against Mick West being uh, someone to be sceptical, but it seems like everyone on Metabunk lately, their default mode is just sceptic. Mm. I wouldn't even call it sceptic. I mean, their thing is confirmation bias. They all just get together and, and say every, every UFO thing is, is a lie. 
Mm. And, uh, you know, although Mick has done some good work on other things, you know, cases that have been fraudulent, and he's out with those frauds very easily, when it comes to the more genuine stuff or the more, you know, realistic, you know, part-hitting stuff, those are given the same sort of scorn, you know, they, 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 they just can't be real. Mm, they're, the same. they're not allowed to be real. And I'm like, well, why the hell are you flipping deep? What's the point of Metabunk then? Mm. You know, what, what, do you, what do you stand for? Because he's got it down on his page as uh, aliens versus golf carts. Right. That's what he's calling it. And he only took that small video from the Daily Star's little edit there. Yeah. And this is what he called it, footage of spooky spinning UFO in Wales declared genuine by expert. And that, that was basically the whole story after that. They just named Jason as the uh, expert. They named me as the investigator. They named the place where it happened. And it wasn't all that much of a story, to be honest with you. Mm. Um, you know, they, but I, I mean, it was nice for them to declare it, to, for them to talk about it. But and obviously, Mick found this and decided to call it Alien versus Golf Carts. And I said, have you actually looked at the whole video? Have you actually been to the place? This is why I this is why I consider field research a genuine you know a, a genuine thing for UFO investigators to do. Because yeah. by the time I figured out this is the one big thing I did do for this case, I lined up the two furthest light points I could find in the video, right? Because it seems to me this object's not moving, it's staying where it is. So when the lights are going on, left, furthest left, right, and furthest right light. And I got this in the book, how I'd done it. I then take the location of where the site was from, and then I just keep lining up that and following the line as far as it will go you know and um it does lead up to the day and night time photographs when you overlay them does show that it's pretty just below the the landscape point in the photographs and mick has decided that this thing is lights or vehicles coming from the top of that mountain hill place by the golf course mm. that's all it is Okay, good theory. Like, you know, I've never heard that one before. <laughs> E.T. came E.T. came to Denby to play around a golf. Like, I guess he thought the Masters was on or something. But, uh, I mean, three, you know, I mean, if anybody's on vehicles, because this is where Peter comes in again. He did. He went around those fields, couldn't find any tracks or any evidence of vehicles, quads, bikes, or anything like that. Yeah. Bikes or scramblers, whatever you call them. And I said, and the way I lined it up, right, from the furthest lights to the left and right going up to the golf course there's a woods up there called Christmower woods is it christ or christ christ woods or something like that it's got well she named with a strange it's just the way you pronounce it i thought it's, it sounds like crest woods but it's it's, it's called christ woods or something christ woods yeah like that there was um there was something to do with a lady called margaret pritchard wasn't there to do with that and yes some, some clearing uh, this, this will lead into that yeah okay the, the if, the, if somebody was riding vehicles around there for 15 minutes, right, they would have to then drive it through the woods, through thick, dense woods, crashing into trees, bumping into things, and being able to avoid all that and come back around and do it all again for 15 minutes. Because that's how long the sighting lasted for, like, you know, sighting-wise. Okay. And somehow then tilt off the ground and go and then have their bikes flying in the air, like E.T., I guess. You know, he must have been up there. Oh. But... Uh, yeah, so I'm a hit. I'm a, the golf course. If they were on the pitch, I think we're starting the pitch on the on the on the fairway. Uh, it's obscured by a small banking. You know, there's a there's, it goes up, and then it goes over and down. D does that make sense? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, 
you, it would be obscured from their sight. They wouldn't be able to see anything, even if there was someone up there. Mm. And uh, yeah, one day I went up to the woods to have a look around, and I found out when I was there, and this is the value of going to these places, sometimes people say things when you're on location that you wouldn't normally pick up in an interview or a phone call. Uh, she said six weeks, no more than six weeks, probably less less than four. This huge section of woods, this lovely area that they loved walking through, because there's a path through there, but it's a very narrow path. You know, you're not going to ride a big vehicle through there. Not enough to get through there with, you know, in single file, let alone uh, uh, anything else. But uh, they chopped down this large section of trees. Uh, they weren't exactly, shall we say, felled, removed, and taken away because of anything contamination-wise. They were just chopped down, removed, and sent over to the side. Now, I don't understand why it happened. I think maybe maybe the storm did something to them. But I have a sneaky little feeling that maybe something with the UFO was involved. Maybe coming over that way. Mm. And I've tried to find out about why this was done. Got no answer. I've tried writing to the councils and the local authorities up there. Not really getting any answers. Uh, and I've since learned that that particular woodland area is an ancient woodland and uh, is protected under certain laws. They have uh, protection rights for that area. So, you know, I mean, if someone's going to touch it, mm. go in there and have a mess around with it. I mean, yeah, what's it? There had to be a reason then, hasn't there? If, it, if it's a protected woodland, it's not that easy for, for a local authority just to move in there and cut a lot of trees down, is it? Yeah, I got it. And I did a slight presentation on this last year, and uh, I did make a note of this. Uh, this is what it's called. Uh, there's an acronym for it. There are 29 SSSIs, wholly or partly within Demisher, protected sites in Demisher. And this is from uh, one of their lists. And there it is, Christmar Wood. Uh, that's protected. So doesn't mean they can't chop down trees, but I'm pretty sure if you're going to, you're going to need special permissions. That's a good reason for it. Yeah, the, the sites of special scientific interest, I think it stands for, doesn't that? Yeah. Yeah. Special scientific interest. That's an interesting one, isn't it? Yeah, that's the one, yeah. So why is it special yeah. scientific interest? Yeah. There will have been a they will have had to jump through hoops, won't they, to to sort of go in there and start cutting trees down. Oh yes. Oh yes. Some of them have been, been blown over too. You can see one of the trees yeah. I thought it's been blown over or pulled over, but it's heavily uprooted and it means a big bloody tree. You know, I mean, it's not something small, and you can see the others where they've chopped them through. There are still there were signs there then, and there might be still signs there now. Uh, but since then, the area is overgrown, and it's, it, it, I mean, today it doesn't look anything. It's like a big, thick pile of just bramble bushes and, 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 and you know these thin twig trees. Which, oh, it's, it's, it's nothing like what it said in their former glory. Uh, but that was strange, and uh, yeah, I mean. Is there any other questions you got, uh, Craig? No, well, I, I was I was just going to ask you really where um, where you can buy the book because it sounds like a fascinating read. That's uh, a very underrated case. Uh, you can get it from Amazon. You type okay. in the Denby Lights UFO. Uh, it's available in Kindle. It's available in paperback and hardback. And if you're one of those people who likes audio, it's available on that too. Okay. Is there anything in the pipeline? Any any other books in the pipeline? Uh, not for the not for the time being. I mean, I want to write some more, but to, to be it's honest, time, it's time, a lot of time consuming, isn't it? <laughs> very time consuming, and it's very difficult to get the book sold. I mean, the Pentoke one's doing very well because that case has gone worldwide. But yeah, the ones you know, I mean, 
I mean, if I were to write them, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I have to think about it. If I got like a like a lot of spare time, and to be honest, I want to break from UFOs and all this other stuff I've been doing because I've been doing it for over twenty years, and it's getting a little. It's a it's a lot a lot of time consuming stuff. Mm. So I mean, I will write books, obviously. I will at some point because these cases need to be known because they all come with evidence and great witnesses and videos and analysis and field work and all that. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, like, I try to make my cases as comprehensive as possible. Like, I mean, there is something I could go into here. Yeah, please. It's not a witness, but he's someone who uh, may have seen the craft himself. Uh, there's a man named, I got this from a local paper. From The pictures were online. I managed to find it. Luckily, I saved them. Uh, yeah, this is from uh, one of the local papers in Denby. God, I don't know which one it's called. It's whatever's kept, whatever's sold in that place. Uh, this was from the 8th of February, 2012. The sighting occurred on the 1st of February of that same year, just a month after Denby, actually. And uh, Graham Evans from Denby was startled when a strange flying object suddenly appeared in the daylight sky as he was taking a photograph with his digital camera. Uh, had, it says, I was walking around Denby taking pictures of several locations for a video I was making, and it was about 2.30 p.m. when I reached Leicester's church by Denby Castle, said Mr. Evans. Just about to take the picture when an object suddenly appeared in the sky, moving very quickly from left to right. And if you can see the picture, it's a disc-shaped object. Uh, Close-up enhancement of it would reveal that it's got some sort of, like, underbelly, roundish underbelly with a saucer outline. And uh, Denby Castle is not too far away from where this sighting took place. Uh, you can see Denby from the house of the family itself. You know, it's a very visible place. It's a very old castle. It's like eight, nine centuries old, I believe, but maybe maybe less. But, I mean, it's very old, you know, and the castle's seen better days, mind you. But um, it's just interesting that a month after, you know, something like that, he's got, he had quite a few photographs of it. And I've, it's been my experience to learn that... Um, that whenever major UFO sightings take place, there seems to be uh, rem- these sightings may occur afterwards, not as prominent as the Denby Lights one, but people may see objects mm. of similar nature in the area because they seem to stay for a while and then they go away. Yeah, you seem to get them in clusters, don't you? I've, I've noticed that. Yeah. So, oh, so interesting. So, do, do, is it, has there been anything recently up there? Is it is it a hot spot? Do you think, or was it just these isolated incidents? North Wales is very active. I mean, there are there are, there are sightings happening in and around there, out to sea and below the below the mountain ranges. I mean, it's always going. Yeah, there's always something going on up there, hmm. and people are reporting stuff up there and taking videos and things. Which reminds me, um, what's his name now? There is another thing. Yeah, David. David Williams is an interesting character in this case because he had something to offer as well. Um, see, the original video uh, was played on his iPad, David's iPad. He's the next door neighbor, the same age as uh, Alex, I believe. Okay. Uh, yeah, so he would have been 13, 14 at the time, maybe a bit older. But anyway, they were messing around with the video. He was taking a screenshot. He'd zoom in and then take another screenshot. Zoom in, take another screenshot. And every time he did, it seemed to enhance it a little bit, you know, bring out a little more detail. Yeah. Tommy got really close into it. I couldn't believe what he had. He had this, um, you could see shape of the dome on top. You could see four large bluish white lights with several smaller ones around them. 
a clear red light on top, which seemed to be distinctively like two separate red lights. Oh. It looks like a cherry if you you know if you're just looking at it in a blurry version. Yeah. And um, I was like, how on earth did you manage to get that? I said, I've been messing around with this video, trying to enhance these things, see if I could bring out the background of this thing. Because the family said they could see the saucer with their eyes, but the camera, I guess, didn't have a sharp enough sensor at the time. And I guess today, most cameras will pick it up very easily because they've got night vision and things. Or, um, you know, they've got much better ISO ranges, you know, for, for, for light in the dark. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, and I was just asking, and he just told me last week, and I said, I, well, that's amazing because, I mean, I've done something similar, but just not as clear as that. But it clearly shows. I mean, you know, I, I'm surprised this image doesn't get the credit it deserves. It clearly bloody shows this thing is an oval shape. It's got a saucer shape on the top. And it does have, you know, that, that classic saucer shape sort of look to it. Uh, you know, whatever this thing is, it, it, it's a solid object of some sort, but it's clearly not designed by man, you know, because we don't make them like that unless we've recovered some and... Do you know what I mean? Yeah, reverse engineered it. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, so it's a sort of classic saucer shape that that you imagine in a sort of 1950s B movie. Is it, is it that sort of shape? I could say that, yeah. I mean, I wish I had the image to show you. Yeah, I can imagine it, and, I, and I'd hope that, that, you know, the listeners will be able to imagine it as well because of the way you've described it. It's sort of... It's sort of like you know, um, uh, you know, the day the Earth stood still film from the fifties or sixties, whenever it was. That sort of classic um, silver sort mm -hmm. of um, UFO shape, circular UFO shape. Well, what's interesting also is when I've interviewed the family, all four witnesses, I asked them about these lights. I asked them, I said, mm. "How they look to you?" Then I mean, because obviously you've all seen it, but. If I asked you to describe them, how would you describe them? I think, I think Alex described it like explosions going bright and then dimming down, bright and dimming down. I think Nathan described it like a, like a real bright firework display, but you know, contained within that area. I think uh, Linda has described it a similar way, but I, you know, what uh, is very interesting is Kira's description of the lights. Kira said something in the interview that. Uh, I'll relate to you now. Um, I, I mean, she described the, the lights like, I don't know if you've ever been on holiday or you've ever been in a swimming pool and you see the lights under the water. I mean, the, the water, no one's in the water, but the lights are underneath mm. and the water's moving around. Yeah, so the shimmering. Shimmering, yeah. yeah. Um, she said it was like that, oh. but it was more hypnotic and it, it was just so unbelievably mesmerizing and... And I said, oh, it was something you really want to see again? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think we got into a conversation about this. I said, oh, okay, then. So if, you know, you told me you're an Ed Sheeran fan, I mean, if you could get a backstage pass to a tour of Ed Sheeran, you know, for the whole thing, or win the lottery and go live your dream, or, you know, go see the world, or see this thing again, what would it be? Oh, I'd see this thing again, you know, because it's priceless. I mean, that's, that's, that's how much of an impact this thing has made. That's interesting, isn't it? So you have, you have to wonder then whether there was indeed some sort of hypnotic um, uh, element to these lights or whether it was some sort of perhaps subconscious uh, communication or something like that. It may well be. Uh, I've not received any indication that they, they, they were receiving a communication. I think they just 
they, they just got incredibly mm, just tearing up. They just in the right, I think they just whether they were meant to see it, I don't know, or whether it was just there and they they were lucky. I mean, either way, they've seen it, and it's made that wow impression on them. Mm. And certainly, it's you know they've lived there their whole lives, even you know all this time. And I mean, I I did comparisons for the whole thing. It's not fireworks. It's not vehicles. It's not helicopters. It's not arcing of light from any electrical cable. Um, it's not anything from the quarry or the golf course. It's not lightning on the ground. It's none of that natural weather phenomenon that you describe. Um, there's very few things that would match these configurations anyway. And, uh, you know, hovering and tilting vertically and the light pattern that we saw, you know, please explain to me what vehicle does that or any kind of craft that you can think of besides UFO, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, what else was there? Well, it just remains a mystery then, really, as to as to what it was. All I can describe, I mean, in their minds, it's an it's an extraterrestrial craft, and then I mean, if we don't have them, I I would, I mean, I'm not saying that it wasn't, you know. But I mean, with me, I mean, I always remain open minded and skeptical. But I mean, I mean, I keep hearing about all this reverse engineering stuff. But if these things are not, if we can't reverse, if we can't build them a reverse engineer them, and what's left? Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Be, I mean, to me, I, I think it is an extraterrestrial vehicle of some sort. You know, the question is, where did it come from? Yeah, absolutely. North Wales is notorious for having things coming in and out of the sea. I mean, there's been so many freaking sightings up there. It's unbelievable. Um, you know, you've got the Berwyn Mountains in 1974. There's a book coming out now with Philip Mantle with Mark Ollie, is it? With the Gary Rose case from 1983. Then you've got uh, this one, of course. And you've got... um. Right, the triangles up there, because that came from South Wales to the north. Um, and you've got um, the one case I mentioned in the book. Uh, blah, 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 what's it called? Flanach in 1979. Uh, that involved a craft coming out of the sky and uh, landing with three occupants inside. Um, I mean, I would join the Welsh Triangle, the Broadhaven thing is <laughs> very incredible too. I don't know if it's in around that area, but Wales is a small country. It wouldn't take long for any of these craft to cover the distance, no. given the speeds they can go. Yeah, um, it sounds like it's an absolute hotbed, especially uh, especially yes. up there in the north on the on the north coast. Uh, well, I've got a, a lady now who's. I'm just trying. I was hoping I might be able to go and see her in the place. I think it was called Parsons Beach or some Penzan Beach, is it? Penzan or something like that. In Flandudno area. All right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to remember the details here, but I once had a I once had a very rainy week's holiday in Clandon, though. Yeah. As a child. <laughs> well, um, <laughs> what time ago? Then? Um, I imagine you're probably uh, <laughs> a well-grown adult now. Um, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm certainly getting long in the tooth. Let's put it that way. <laughs> I, wasn't I, mean, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Because you've got um, you've got Anglesey up there and of course there's a there's a nuclear power station isn't there on Anglesey I was do you know I, I have looked I know there was a nuclear power station there I didn't think it was around that area there is there is one on Anglesey yeah definitely because um we, oh, have, we actually drove past it when we did a we did a tour well we, we, we sort of drove around um Anglesey in a in a day because it's it's a for people who don't know it's uh it's a fairly small island off the 
off the north coast of um of Wales. We were staying uh in Bormaris at the time. So we uh, we just went for a drive around and we actually stopped at a petrol station. Um and you could see the the power station just literally maybe a half a mile just 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 down the just down the coast. Um and it was playing havoc with uh, the central locking in my car. And I actually went into the um into the garage and said I've got a problem with central locking. And he said, "Oh, it's all right. It's just the radiation from the um, nuclear power station. It'll, <laughs> it'll 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 settle down." I was like, "Oh my god!" And the thing was, my wife Sarah was about six months pregnant at the time, so we uh, we made a, a a hasty retreat. But the the reason I mentioned that is because I have mentioned this before to other people about nuclear power stations and and military installations. We we have a lot of sightings up in uh, in the Morecambe Bay area. Um, of Lancashire and we have two nuclear power stations um, at Hesham um, which is just just south of Morecambe and there are a lot of UFO sightings in that area and there have been historically going back well over 100 years um, and I'm just wondering whether it's the same sort of thing on in North Wales because of the the proximity of that uh, nuclear power station on Anglesey. I would have to say so definitely yes. Mm. It's interesting, isn't it? It's, it, it? There are sort of there are sort of correlations, I think, in a lot of these areas where, where there are there are similarities. Um, it's been it's it's a fascinating story, um, and I do I do actually feel a little bit for the family um, because obviously they've they've been um, you know not particularly well treated by certain sections of, um, awesome. of yeah the press or or, or whatever uh, people people trying to debunk them so. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I would urge anybody who's listened to this to, to go on, to go and buy the book. How many books have you written altogether, Gary? If you don't mind me asking, I've only got two. Uh, but maybe I'll do a few more. Uh, the Pentoke Incident that's a co authored book with me and Cars Clark, and the Denby Lights. Yeah, and maybe in the future, I'll have another one done with uh, more th- that would be the more series of cases that I've done. Yeah, yeah. Do you have a website or anything where people can get hold of you? Uh, I'm running on Facebook at the minute. I, I was going to get a website going, but I got so much going on. I can't. I can't really devote so much time to all these other little things. But I'm on Facebook and the Gary Jones, so you can find me there. Okay. And if people uh, send you any stories or sightings or anything from from your area, they can do obviously through through Facebook. Yeah, they can do it through Facebook. Yeah, that's usually where I like to meet people or contact people because. Um, uh, I think maybe I will set up a website at some point just to say, you know, if people want to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, get in contact with you on that. Yeah. Well, no, yeah, it's... I know people might want an email or a number, but I don't really have those facilities right now because, I mean, it's a lot of work. You know, keep, I'm, I'm, I'm busy with so many things. I can't really. Yeah. Devote. So I'm, I'm trying to cut back on the number of things that I'm doing because, you know, it's, it, it sort of like eats away at my time. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, I, know, I know exactly what you mean. It's it's a very it's a very fine uh, fine balancing act, especially you know when you've got a when you're working full time and you've got a family and everything else. It's um, you know it can become all consuming and all uh, it, it can take over your life. So I can I can fully understand where you're coming from with that one. <laughs> yeah, um, but uh, maybe at some point I will. Because uh, but I'm, I mean at some point I do do intend to take a break from it because I want to do a bit of traveling around the country you know just see a few places you know spend a few nights here a few nights there yeah yeah mm. so, yeah so facebook's probably the best best place to get hold of you um and obviously uh go out and buy your books that's uh that's the main thing 
Yeah, I'll give you a link to all of that anyway, and then you can uh, put it on yeah. put it on the thing if you want. Uh, I, will I will I will put it on the um, on the description for the podcast. Yeah, that'll be uh, that be brilliant. Well, it's been great talking to you, Gary. Thanks for giving us your time uh, this evening. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been a really, really interesting. Uh, I mean, it's, it, it's been a story that, that I've not really uh, sort of done much research about. So it's always great to hear about these sort of stories that that you know I don't know much about anyway. So it's been uh, it's been fantastic talking to you. Thank you. You're welcome, Craig. Thank you. Thank you. You can visit my website at www.craigbryant.co.uk. Paranormal Pendle will return, and remember to keep watching the shadows.